welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, reading in the 6th chapter. Luke writes, Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd in the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out from him and healed all of them then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who are hungry now for you will be filled blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. In the text you have before you, it kind of switches back and forth a little bit on the subject of disciples. There are two groups referred to as disciples. One is, of course, the twelve. The other is is sort of a larger group of people uh, who were still uh, being taught. Uh, That's the meaning of disciple, didaskalos, like didactic in school, a style of teaching. Uh, uh, They are the ones who are taught. So many were taught, but they were not the same as the twelve, the twelve disciples. And the twelve disciples were soon to become the apostles, right? Apostelos, those who are sent with a message. And so it kind of, we bounce back and forth a little bit in the text uh, from Luke today. Uh, and so uh, just we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, just be mindful of that, that. There's two groups of disciples. The small group, uh, the 12. The larger group uh, of many. And that many uh, in the crowd included not only Jews but Gentiles from uh, Tyre and Sidon. And so um, I begin, though, with an observation. Tomorrow's a day, the 18th of February, uh, pretty much unnoticed except in a few corners of the church. But it is the day when the church remembers uh, the German scholar uh, and reformer for whom the initial Protestant denomination of church was named, Martin Luther. Okay, Martin Luther died on February the 18th. 
uh, in the Christian circles, we tend to remember the date of someone's death, not their birth date. Okay, uh, February 18th and 1546, following his lifetime of faithfulness to the gospel such that uh, Luther and his reformation, if you will, in the words of a really recent PBS uh, TV um, observance of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, that uh, production, PBS, so so a secular uh, production, uh, called his ideas the idea that changed the world. Okay, the idea that changed the world. Luther and what came to be known as the Reformation ultimately set the stage for modern Europe to emerge. Okay, And many don't know that it was the church that kept safe uh, the advances of science, literature, and technology during Europe's plunge into the chaos and that disease-ridden period of time of barbarism that sometimes is referred to as the Dark Ages the dark ages where that period between the fall of the Roman Empire and the dawn of the Renaissance that produced artists and innovators such as da Vinci and Michelangelo during the dark times the Vatican Library was one of the few places the few repositories of written treasures uh, of the centuries before manuscripts those early manuscripts of the Bible Okay, uh, saved uh, by the church. Yet, for as consequential as he was, Luther sought throughout his life only to serve and find his peace with God. Okay, while other forces were at work, those of politics and science and technology, changing social conventions, they all seized upon Luther's energy, insights to advance opportunities beyond anything Luther, the theologian, had interest in, and yet echoes of the Reformation can still be heard uh, as the church once united uh, yet grieves its divisions and prays for the fulfillment of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John's Gospel as it came to be known where our Lord prayed, Holy Father, keep them one even as you and I are one. Well, in today's reading, let's jump back to today's lesson. So much for the observance of tomorrow. In today's gospel reading, uh, an informed reader uh, likely notices very quickly uh, a a rather clear parallel between Luke's text, the many blessed R's, okay, Markarios in Greek, blessed, can be rendered happy, uh, but happy is taken on other kinds of connotations in our our day and age. But the blesseds, okay, uh, and those of fellow evangelist uh, Luke's fellow evangelist Matthew, Matthew's Sermon on the Mount bears more than just a little resemblance to what is often called Luke's Sermon on the Plain, so called for the respective locations where Matthew and Luke record Jesus was teaching at the time uh, these words were spoken. And while the content of both sermons employs uh, similar offerings uh, in terms of blessings, Luke puts a bit more of an edge upon Jesus' words with the inclusion of uh, a number of woes. Okay, woes. There's a word we don't use much anymore, huh? Now, some scholars suspect uh, the Sermon on the Mount 
and Luke's sermon on the plain were in fact the same sermon, just differently recalled. Uh, recall that Luke, uh, Luke's reporting uh, was all secondhand. Luke says, I, I have investigated these things, and this is what I found out. Luke does not claim, as Matthew was, to be first-hand witness, but rather Luke gathers information. So was the, were these the same events differently remembered? Perhaps. Other scholars contend that given the conspicuous difference between a hilltop and a flat place, a flat ground, there were two sermons, but the two sermons used similar content a practice of itinerant preachers then and to today. You know, the content uh, often remains very similar. Fact is, uh, we just don't know. Okay, we just don't know. But ultimately, I think it's important to concede that it's not the venue of either sermon that's important, but what Jesus wanted his audience and therefore his church to hear, understand, and to put into practice. Now this becomes particularly evident, uh, especially the 12 disciples. He wanted them to uh, soon to become apostles, those who are sent with the message, with the gospel, as I said, uh, becomes apparent. If you caught the, the very important uh, words at the beginning, then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, so Jesus is teaching this sermon, these words, while spoken in a public place, were really for the 12. Okay, really for the 12. Remember last week where we talked about uh, uh, the great catch of fish, the calling of Peter, James, and John. Jesus, I think, seeing the magnitude of the challenge before him, the task the Father had sent him to accomplish, said, aha, I'll build a church. That's how I'll do it. I will send these with my message, and my church then will, will be able to reach far beyond what any one person could do. And so the sermon was for the twelve, I think, uh, making it now for you, of course, uh, particularly you who showed up on this snowy Sunday morning, uh, as distinguished from the greater number of followers who are mentioned in Luke's gospel, some of them Jews, some of them Gentiles, uh, but that broader audience, some of whom Luke says were disciples, but not the twelve. Jesus' sermon wanted the twelve to understand that their state of well-being in relationship with God and to God uh, would determine the spiritual condition of their lives. Let me say that again. Jesus' sermon wanted the twelve to understand that their state of well-being in relationship to God would determine their spiritual condition of the rest of their lives. Blessing or woe, Jesus sets before them, blessing or woe, came not through external fortunes or misfortunes or affairs of the heart, which is devious, as Jeremiah says, above all else, but through life's important relationships. The first relationship of all being a relationship with the second person of the Holy Trinity, that all-important relationship to Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, he, 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 he continuously reinforces throughout his ministry. Apart from me, he would say, you can do nothing. Okay? Apart from Jesus, the disciples could do nothing. And Jesus spent a lot of time making that point. He therefore establishes this, I call it an I-thou relationship. I-thou relationship. Of which Jesus spoke... This relationship was not established by 
birthright as it was for the Jews. Okay, interesting. In a, uh, we often hear of that ancient world being very patriarchal. It's interesting to note that uh, your Jewishness is established not by your father. Your Jewishness is established by your mother. Okay, and so it is matriarchal uh, in terms of the of the identity of the Jewish people. That's why Paul could be both a Roman citizen. His father was a Roman. And he could be a Jew. His mother was Jewish. And so he could claim both Jewishness, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he would write of himself, and also, though, and he employed this at times too, a Roman citizen and entitled to the protections of Roman law. And so Paul was that because of the nature of his parentage. So this idol relationship, which Jesus spoke, is not established by birthright, not like the Jews, nor could it be established by station in life as they were accustomed to the Romans uh, where you were born into a class and you belonged to that class nor could it be established by uh, uh, any other uh, measurement. A right relationship with God could only be established by faith, Jesus taught and the one sent by God for the salvation of the world only such faith would confer blessing and absent such faith that would inevitably lead to all manner of woe again little word three letters we don't use woe much anymore do we and yet as I was thinking about this I quick call up the dictionary on my computer take a look at the word woe oh oh my synonyms for woe here's a few of them instead of woe Jesus could have said, well, misery, sorrow, distress, wretchedness, sadness, unhappiness, heartache, heartbreak, despondency, desolation, despair, dejection, depression, gloom, and melancholy. That's just a few of the synonyms for woe. So very many synonyms. But missing the one that I think I find most telling of all. And I came to that conclusion by first being impressed with the question how how could Jesus have known our world so well Uh, woe and all of these other words they are so present in our experience in our world in our neighbors our friends our families experiences today what a remarkable description of the spiritual state of affairs of the world today Um, bars and doctor's offices and self-help clinics mortuaries they're filled with evidence of that little word Jesus used to describe the consequences of a broken relationship with God in a word woe woe to that copious list of synonyms I just spoke uh, describing woe I want to add another it's a theological term. And so not really in favor in our postmodern world, but you may have heard it. You probably have heard it. But I want you to think of it in a different way. Uh, and that word is sin. Sin. With a capital S. And in the singular. I want you to consider sin in this way. Uh, as misplaced trust misplaced trust forget sin as breaking of the rules you know 
those are small s sins but sin in the singular as uh, as a broken relationship okay i want you to think of sin as misplaced trust and think of it as broken relationship blessedness jesus says exists in a right relationship with and keeping a relationship with god while sin is evidence it evidences is evidence of uh, a rupture in that relationship with God. Sin substitutes the value of relationship with God with tempting relationships in the immediate and the transient aspects of our lives. And so Jesus could say, you know, laughter now, full belly now, being held in high regard now. Upon these, Jesus pronounced woe because that's what you get. That's all you get. Don't trust such fickle things, Jesus said to his disciples, the twelve. Again, to look back to Jeremiah, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. So we have to look beyond that, beyond what we feel. It's, you know, and we live in a day and age when how I feel is, is awfully determinative of so many things. Guard against these and these things guard against them and care for the poorest among you that was the way in which Jesus directed the twelve when he looked up at his disciples and taught them and revealed what true blessedness consisted of Jesus turned traditional values on their head so what are we to do where do we take this on a snowy morning here's a very Lutheran I think response perspective it is from the Apostle Paul and not surprisingly, from Paul's letter to the Romans, Lutherans tend to love that letter more than uh, more than the others. But uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, there we find these few words, but worth remembering, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Okay? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, in another translation. Everyone is tempted toward trusting in those things that make us feel good. The heart. You know, how we feel. How we feel about ourselves. We know that whole curriculum are, are written for schools uh, about how to help kids feel better about themselves. <laughs> I Sometimes when I ask why, I think it's because those who write the curriculum want to feel better about themselves. And yet in spite of all the programmatic things that we've come up with, the world doesn't really seem to become a lot better or more understanding, does it? We struggle. Why is that? I again suggest it is because the real problem lies in sin. In sin. Misplaced trust. A rupture in the relationship. In that I-thou relationship between us and God. In our naked public square, where there is no room, no place, for acknowledging any kind of relationship with God. In fact, I often marvel that our public school can get away with a Christmas program. It gets away with, with all the sacred music being sung. It wouldn't happen in some corners of our country. Um, and so I, uh, um, where there is no place for acknowledging relationship with God, we are left then only as ourselves, as the final arbiter and determiner of what is right, what is good, what feels good to me today. That's all that's left. And such things cannot confer, by Jesus' estimation, blessing. Blessing. 
but they can because of the fickle nature of the heart lead to all kinds of woes remember that long litany of of synonyms feelings of despair depression desperateness yeah okay well the good news then what we take away is the good news that what is needed god graciously also provided okay god freely provides in a word what is needed is grace where sin where our sin increases paul says have no doubt that god's grace increases more okay paul contended that whatever that wherever human sin abounded grace abounded all the more and that is because that's the will of god who sent his son not to condemn the world but to save it jesus saves the world by pointing us the world back to our source back to its source and place life's valuable relationships and meanings beyond the reach of those fortunes and misfortunes that define so much of everyday life jesus called those who heard his sermon to return to a right relationship with god here today gone tomorrow not just words grasping for trusting that which is transient is in the words of ecclesiastes like chasing after the wind uh, vanity of vanities all is vanity but by grace through faith we are called to this state of blessedness through the one his church calls lord in a state of grace the church has found safe harbor and well-being even in desperate circumstances and so the takeaway the take home this morning is do not misplace your trust do not misplace your trust that is sin tend to the relationships god first others around you that are important embrace those right relationships and experience the blessedness this i think the meaning of the words jesus spoke whether on the mountain or on the plain for he spoke them to and for you his church we hope you've enjoyed this production of the first lutheran church we welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL avenue you can also find us on facebook at first lutheran church miles city montana and email us at flc@midrivers.com at